Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Dispatch Podcast. I'm your host today, Charlotte Lawson. I'm a foreign policy reporter with the Dispatch. And for the last eight months, I've been living in Istanbul, reporting on Turkey and the region more broadly. Today, we have an explainer podcast on last week's presidential runoff in Turkey, which saw the re-election of longtime strongman leader Recep Tayyip Erdogan, who overcame what may have been the biggest challenge to his rule yet. I'm very excited to be joined by Eric Edelman, former ambassador to Turkey and Finland and former Undersecretary of Defense for Policy. Currently, he's working as the counselor at the Center for Strategic and Budgetary Assessments. Overall, he's a well of knowledge on all things foreign policy and defense policy. So I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Thank you for joining us on the Dispatch Podcast today. Thanks for having me, Charles. It's good to be with you. Good to see you, too. Um, I wanted to start off by asking you for a quick overview of last week's presidential elections in Turkey for our listeners who aren't familiar to this topic. Who are the candidates and why did some people consider this the best chance to unseat the incumbent, Recep Tayyip Erdogan? Well, um, the incumbent was uh, President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, who has been the um, uh, de facto leader of Turkey for the past 20 years, first as prime minister from uh, 2003 until uh, until Turkey adopted an executive presidency uh, that he introduced uh, with a referendum in 2017, about which there are many questions in terms of the um, uh, how true the vote was. There, there does seem to have been a fair amount of uh, election chicanery with that um, referendum, uh, which passed by a, a relatively narrow margin. Um, the reason why people thought Erdogan uh, was vulnerable was uh, he has been in place for 20 years, which is an enormously long time, uh, longer than uh, Kamil Pasha uh, Ataturk, who was uh, the founder of the modern Republic of Turkey. And he has thoroughly mismanaged the economy. Inflation hit um, 80, uh, 80 to 85% back in November. It was running around 40 to 45% at the time of the election. In February, there was a massive earthquake in Turkey, as you know well. Um, and uh, the government response, AFAD, the official uh, Turkish uh, agency that is responsible for emergency response, and essentially our, our Turkey's version of our FEMA, uh, botched the response, very slow to respond. Uh, Erdogan was slow to send the military in to uh, secure areas hard hit by the earthquake. So there was a lot of looting and uh, lawlessness in those areas. There were also major questions about uh, $44 billion worth of tax revenue that had been set aside since 1999's uh, large Istanbul earthquake for earthquake-proofing uh, structures in Turkey. And, you know, people were wondering, where did that money go? And it went into 
the pockets of Erdogan's cronies in the construction industry, uh, which obviously uh, damaged uh, uh, Erdogan's uh, standing. There also was the um, increasing resentment because of Turkey's difficult uh, economic conditions against the very large Syrian and other refugee population on Turkey's uh, territory. I mean, numbers range from 3.6 to 4.1 million refugees on Turkey's territory. A lot of hostility towards them from Turks. And Erdogan has been very personally associated with Turkey's uh, Syria policy, first attempting to uh, conciliate Bashar al-Assad, then uh, joining in the opposition to him during the uh, Syrian civil war, and most recently trying to uh, curry favor uh, with him, all, all the while inserting Turkey uh, into Syria's civil war uh, on behalf of uh, sort of uh, groups associated with jihadism and uh, fighting against uh, Syrian Kurdish groups that uh, have an affiliation with the PKK that's been waging a very uh, bloody insurgency against the Turkish government since uh, the early 1980s. So he looked very vulnerable. Uh, unfortunately, the opposition, the joint opposition, uh, which uh, raised, I mean, it was a so-called table of six. It was six opposition parties, the People's Republican Party, the old Ataturk Party, uh, along with some um, splinter groups from the Nationalist Party, the uh, uh, Nationalist Party that is associated with Erdogan's governing coalition, as well as a couple of splinter parties from Erdogan's own uh, Justice and Development Party, uh, formed a united opposition. Unfortunately, the head of the CHP, uh, Kemal Kilic Darolu, imposed himself essentially as the opposition candidate, even though he was the opposition candidate who polled least well in trial heats against uh, Erdogan much less well, for instance, than against uh, Ekrem uh, Imamolu, the popular mayor of, of Istanbul, uh, who was operating under a, uh, a uh, threat of, a, of legal action by the Erdogan government that might have eliminated him from consideration, uh, had these pretty much bogus charges of uh, insulting government officials actually been, you know, been uh, brought to trial. So uh, that, you know, that was the setup. But, you know, in the end, uh, Erdogan uh, overcame all of these obstacles and was reelected uh, with about a 52 to 48 percent margin. Yeah. In a piece that you wrote for the dispatch that came out actually a day before the election, you predicted not only Erdogan's victory, but also his margin of victory. Um, but at one time, polls actually had him trailing by about 10 points, given the reasons you mentioned, Turkey's economy, the fallout from February's earthquakes. I'm curious what he did to kind of shift the tides and ultimately push himself over that 50% threshold. You know, I think the result demonstrates, um, you know, Turkey's deep divisions as a, as a nation. It is a deeply divided society. Erdogan has never really gotten more than uh, 52% of the vote in any given election, although he's dominated elections. But He's dominated it by developing a very devoted base of voters, um, essentially um, a coalition of, of voters, uh, the dispossessed really in Turkey, the you know, poor, rural, pious uh, uh, Turks 
who live in uh, central Anatolia. You know, the, I, I compared it in my dispatch piece to you know, sort of American flyover country um, and who uh, feel that they're looked down upon by the uh, uh, Turkish elite, uh, which dominates in major urban areas like Ankara and Istanbul and Izmir uh, and others. Um, and it is a globalized elite that has benefited from its connections to Turkey's, you know, um, extensive foreign trade, um, while others have, you know, not benefited as much. So he, he starts with that very strong base. He's also, uh, you know, uh, as, uh, as much as one can decry his authoritarian tendencies and, uh, the, the kind of. Uh, violent rhetoric that he espouses, uh, occasionally anti-Semitic rhetoric, very frequently anti-American rhetoric, which was very much on display. This, by far of all of his campaigns, was the most virulently anti-American campaign, explicitly anti-American campaign he ran. Uh, Not quite as bad as his interior minister, Minister Soylu, but still pretty bad. Um, And he's a very effective campaigner. Um, you know, he he uh, has made himself kind of perfect vessel for the grievances of this uh, of this base of voters that he has. And in the end of the day, Turkish voters, I think, um, by a on a narrow, very narrow majority, would prefer to live with the devil they know than the devil they don't know. He was very successful at painting his opponent, uh, Kilec Tarolu, who, as I mentioned, was the weakest of the candidates who might have been brought to bear against him. Uh, Kilic Darolu was a kind of colorless bureaucrat, uh, you know, former government bureaucrat, um, suffered from also being an Alevi, which is a minority uh, in Turkey, about 20%. Uh, Erdogan was uh, not shy about uh, making, you know, appeals to the uh, vast Sunni majority of, of Turks. Um, and he was very successful in painting uh, Kilic Darolu as a tool of the PKK, in part because uh, the uh, legitimate legal Turkish political party, uh, the HDP, agreed tacitly to support Kilic Darolu, uh, which Erdogan turned to his advantage in, in the election uh, campaign. Yeah, I wanted to ask you specifically about the Kurdish vote because um, I actually reported from Diyarbakir, a Kurdish majority city in eastern Turkey on election day. And there was a lot of fear over potential political retaliation by Erdogan, given their tacit support for the opposition in the election. Do you think that this election and its fallout could lead to more repression of Kurdish activists, politicians, political parties? Well, sadly, I think uh, the answer is yes. Um, I mean, I think one has to go back uh, and remember that Erdogan in an earlier uh, in, in a political incarnation um, had um, actually promoted a opening uh, to the Kurdish population and promised a solution to the Kurdish issue, which has royal Turkish politics, you know, for, uh, 40, over 40 years. And, uh, he, uh, was negotiating, you know, with, um, with Ocalan, the, the leader of the PKK who's in prison in Turkey, uh, in, in, uh, Istanbul and, uh, promised an opening until essentially he lost the, um, he came close to losing. He lost a majority, a governing parliamentary majority in June 2015. 
at which point you had a hung parliament that couldn't form a majority. Uh, and he undermined the efforts of his then prime minister, Amit Davutoglu, to forge a, a grand coalition, which might have actually been able to uh, get a grip on the Kurdish issue and resolve it, um, and went back to the polls and won a majority with the Nationalist Party, the price of which, though, was to adopt you know, very anti-Kurdish uh, rhetoric, anti-PKK, but not just anti-PKK, anti-Kurdish uh, rhetoric. And as you know, there was a violent reaction to that among Kurdish youth in southeastern Turkey, notably including in Diyarbakir, where you were. Uh, and it led to, it didn't get a lot of press coverage in, in the United States, but it led to violent repression by the gendarme and the Turkish army and the destruction of urban centers in a number of Kurdish majority cities in the southeast, particularly Diyarbakir. A lot of that's been rebuilt, I understand, um, but um, it, it um, has thoroughly poisoned uh, the AKP's relations with uh, Kurdish voters. Um, and, uh, he is now, um, you know, I think, uh, stuck in a very nationalist, uh, kind of, uh, posture. I mean, he is, he has pulled together a kind of Islamo nationalist populism that is the key to his maintaining this very narrow majority in Turkish politics. And so I don't think there's much scope uh, anymore for, any kind of outreach to the Kurds. And if I were a, a Kurd in Diyarbakir, I'd be worried as well. There's also the question of Turkey's Syrian refugee population that you mentioned earlier. Both Erdogan and the opposition candidate made promises throughout the campaign to deport Turkey's Syrian refugee population if they prevailed in the elections. Do you think that the possibility of mass deportations back to Syria is looming? And do you think that Erdogan might try to pursue detente with the Assad regime to make that happen? Well, Kilic Darolu, because uh, the first round election votes showed uh, increased vote for the MHP, the Nationalist Action Party, that is a, a coalition partner of Erdogan's. Uh, concluded that he needed to uh, negate the kind of anti-Kurdish campaign that that uh, uh, Erdogan had run against him by appearing to be as nationalist or more nationalist than Erdogan. And the target that he used to, to go after that was people who don't vote, which was the Syrian refugees. And he promised to expel them uh, all within one year. Uh, which was something he would never have been able to deliver on had he been uh, elected. Uh, Erdogan has been a little less explicit about what he's going to do. He's promised he's going to you know, return the refugees to Syria uh, or elsewhere, but he has not been as, as explicit as Kilic Tarolu was about what the time frame will be, how he will do it, etc. I fully expect, among other things, he will um, use the large refugee population to extract more funds from the EU. He has sold that horse to the EU multiple times, and there are already indications that he will do it again uh, because uh, folks in the European Union are quite concerned that he might turn the tap on and let uh, lots of these refugees flow into the EU through Greece, which he's done before. Um, he's, he's instrumentalized uh, you know, and weaponize the refugee flows uh, to extract, extort money really from, from
from Europe uh, for you know a period of years. So I, I don't doubt that he will uh, do that again. Um, there have been, as you mentioned, there have been these uh, outreach efforts to Assad. It's not clear how much they've yielded so far. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he would like to create conditions in which he can force the Syrian refugees back, perhaps into some of those uh, territories that Turkish forces now occupy in northeastern Syria. How much he'll be able to do in that direction, I think we'll just have to wait and see. It's not completely clear. And we'll take a quick break to hear from Tax Network USA. Do you owe back taxes? Pandemic relief is now over. Along with hiring thousands of new agents and field officers, the IRS has kicked off 2024 by sending over 5 million pay-up letters to those who have unfiled tax returns or balances owed. Don't waive your rights and speak with them on your own. They are not your friends. Tax Network USA, a trusted tax relief firm, has saved over $1 billion in back taxes for their clients, and they can help you secure the best possible deal. Whether you owe 10000 thousand dollars or 10 million they can help you whether it's business or personal taxes even if you have the means to pay or you are on a fixed income they can help financially resolve your tax burdens once and for all call 1-800-245-6000 for a private free consultation or visit tnusa.com slash dispatch hey guys it is ryan i'm not sure if you know this about me but i'm a bit of a fun fanatic when i can i like to work but i like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I also wanted to ask you about Election Day itself. I think a lot of people agree, given Erdogan's holdover, the media, over other civil society organizations, uh, the levers of state power, that this couldn't be considered a fair election. Do you think that it was at least free when it came to election day itself? Well, look, I'm glad you raised that issue because I should have mentioned it myself earlier. You know, above and beyond everything you and I have been discussing uh, about uh, the election and why it turned out the way it did, uh, the deck was stacked against Kilic Darolu or any opposition candidate from the outset. The uh, OSCE and uh, Council of Europe Parliamentary Assembly joint election monitoring delegation that uh, was in Turkey for the first round of the vote on May 14th issued a report uh, and said that there was some in that round, some uh, chicanery at different ballot boxes, but I think they judged, and seemingly the opposition judged as well, that it was not uh, sufficient to change the outcome in any meaningful way. There were some 2,000 ballot boxes about which there were questions about uh, the propriety of the count and, and you know, uh, the transparency of it. Uh, that was true in the second round as well. You had lots of instances of election monitors being tossed out of polling places, 
ballot box, you know, ballots being opened uh, before um, people had cast them that appeared to have, you know, been pre-stamped with Erdogan's name. And you had all these, uh, you know, instances on social media documenting some of of these, um, you know, pretty unsavory election practices. My judgment is that none of that was sufficient, again, to change the outcome. But the factors you mentioned, the the dominance of the media, there was one Turkish media state outlet uh, that you know had uh, in the run up to the election, Erdogan had 32 hours of coverage, and and Kilicerolu had about 32 minutes. So you know the the media, um, which is now thoroughly dominated by by Erdogan, um, is um, you know. Uh, thoroughly stacked against uh, those people. And it seemed like Erdogan was also able, at least temporarily, to kind of dull the pain of Turkey's economic crisis. Um, I'm curious now that the election is over, if he has a plan for actually averting economic collapse. Well, one thing Erdogan has has done, I mean, he's managed to stave off, um, despite years of what is uh, you know, generously uh, described in most media accounts as, including my piece in the dispatch, as unorthodox economic policies. I'm, actually, I think the, the best way to describe them is crazy economic policies that completely fly in the face of almost all, uh, you know, serious uh, economic thinking, which is uh, his insistence that the best way to combat inflation is low interest rates, which is, it, is illogical on the face of it. Um, it's led to this highly, you know, loose monetary policy and inflationary, um, um, you know, uh, economy. Um, and it's, but it's also been politically very useful for him among other things, because it's a guaranteed, a, a flow of very uh, cheap credit, uh, for Turkish voters who make up his constituency. And it's one of the sources of his ongoing popularity. He's also been in between electoral cycles, pretty careful about the government budget, which has then allowed him to kind of open up the, you know, sluice gates of um, public spending to um, essentially throw money at voters when when it's time to go to the polls. And he did that this time. Certainly, there were promises of housing subsidies. There were uh, a forty five percent increase in the um, pay for government employees a couple of weeks before the election. Uh, you know, it was a pretty naked uh, display of the economic power of incumbency to win elections. But as you point out, this has now left him with a major economic crisis that he has to deal with, uh, which includes uh, the fact that he's got about $220 billion of external financing requirements to meet uh, a central bank whose foreign exchange reserves have been thoroughly run down in, in efforts to prop up the lira, which has been depreciating because of the inflation. Um, and uh, it's not quite clear how he's going to square this circle. I don't think, uh, you know, he was able to weather some of this before the election because the Russians uh, forgave uh, Turkey uh, gas payments that, you know, gas was flowing, Russian gas flowing into Turkey. Turks didn't have to pay for it. Um, Erdogan, uh, there were some Turkish gas fines that, um, that uh, were pumping into the economy and Erdogan said he was going to give all this gas out to free, uh, you know, to Turkish consumers. 
fact, they got uh, their bills that said zero just before the election. You know, what a coincidence. Go figure. Um, but he now, you know, he's got to pay the piper now. And so uh, I don't think the Russians can bail him out. Uh, There's not, you know, given the straightened circumstances of the Russian economy, I don't think the Russians have enough money to bail him out. He's been making amends with his uh, neighbors in the Gulf um, who have been on the opposite side of the Syrian civil war with him for over a decade. He's clearly trying to mend fences there. But uh, the Saudis and the Emiratis are usually pretty careful about where they put their money. And although they did put some money into Turkey as part of this sort of, uh, you know, um, uh, making up of differences between the um, Gulf Arabs and, and Erdogan, um, they also tend to, you know, demand pretty orthodox economic policies for the recipients of their largesse. So, I mean, look at Egypt as an example uh, of that. So um, he's going to have to figure out how he uh, does this. Um, he has said he's not going to change his position on interest rates uh, and he's going to double down on it. But there's already at least some, at least one indicator that for at least some period of time, he may recur to some uh, more traditional economic approaches. And that's been the, uh, as I'm sure you're aware, the uh, rumors that Mehmet Shimshek, who's a former finance minister, deputy prime minister, is being asked to come back uh, into the government by Erdogan to take charge of the economic portfolio. And um, press reports suggest that Shimshek is demanding uh, as, you know, um, uh, as part of taking that on the authority to raise interest rates, uh, you know, and I'm, I, I don't doubt that Erdogan will actually do that for a while, but I think it'd be very foolish to think he'll do it forever because I think as soon as the economy is stabilized, he will revert to type. Shimshek will be shipped off. Someone else will be put in his place and he'll go back to what he clearly believes are the correct, you know, policies to keep him in office. And for my final question, I just wanted to ask, about this election's ramifications for how Turkey engages with the U.S. and with the West more broadly. Um, I guess, in other words, why Erdogan's re-election should matter for the Americans listening to this podcast. Well, Turkey's been a problematic and difficult uh, U.S. and NATO ally uh, for um, the better part of Erdogan's time in office, but um, particularly in the last uh, you know, several years. Uh, which has included uh, his purchase of a Russian S-400 uh, air and missile defense system, which is not compatible uh, with or interoperable with NATO standards and NATO equipment. It led the U.S. government uh, to uh, make a very painful decision, which was to kick Turkey out of the F-35 program, uh, the new fifth-generation fighter that the U.S. is building, some components of which were um, being built in Turkey as part of Turkey's part, original partnership and the program, uh, very costly for U.S. defense industry and for the Pentagon. You know, it definitely set the program back, but uh, U.S. government took the decision to do that correctly, in my view. Um, he's also uh, you know, blocked uh, Finland and Sweden's accession into NATO. Um, for um, for quite a while, and he finally relented this spring about Finland because he really had no case against the Finns. Uh, he has some pretexts, I would say, rather than reasons, you know, uh, to do with um, 
with Sweden, but um, hopefully he'll relent and let Sweden in. But I, I think what we're going to have is a, a unreliable partner with whom we're going to have to be very transactional in the future. Um, and when he lets Sweden in, he's going to extract the price, whether it's a bilateral meeting with President Biden or whether it's a um, some uh, steps to be taken on the pr- a proposed sale of F-16s, a fourth generation fighter to Turkey to upgrade their f- existing fleet of F-16s. I'm sure he'll extract some price for it. And we just have to be prepared to pay a long game uh, in Turkey. It remains an important country given its location. Um, it, uh, sits, you know, right at the cusp of NATO and the Middle East. It's a Black Sea state. Um, Turkey's played an important role in negotiating the Black Sea grain deal, which has, uh, allowed, uh, food, food materials from, uh, Ukraine, which are very important for feeding Egypt and sub-Saharan Africa and countries in East Asia as well. So, um, you know, he, he is going to continue to, you know, unfortunately, uh, be able to play a role that we need to pay attention to. Uh, but I think we just need to do it with open eyes and uh, try and do it in a way that doesn't reinforce the authoritarian system he's imposing. I think we should be very uh, you know, open and frank about our criticisms of human rights violations and, uh, uh, and particularly the lack of rule of law in Turkey. It's rule by law rather than rule of law. But, um, you know, we're going to be in for a very bumpy, difficult ride. It's going to take a, a lot of effort by U.S. Uh, diplomats to keep um, the, the relationship from blowing up into periodic crises, which I'm sure we'll have from time to time. Well, on that note, Eric, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Um, I look forward to hopefully discussing these topics again soon. And I would encourage our listeners to read your work in the dispatch and elsewhere. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Charlotte. And um, let me return the compliment. I think uh, dispatch readers would be very well advised to, you know, to uh, read your reporting from uh, Turkey, which uh, has, has been excellent as well. Thank you so much. it is ryan i'm not sure if you know this about me but i'm a bit of a fun fanatic when i can i like to work but i like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.